Hello and welcome. My name is Zishan and I am your host for today's episode of iGemers of the World podcast by After iGem. Hey Kirsten, how are you? Hi Sishan, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'll let you give a short introduction about yourself. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Kirsten. Uh, I'm currently a postdoc uh, working um, at Macquarie University and my research is addressing the production of renewable hydrogen from plant material using engineered bacteria. Uh, and um, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, very, very symbiotic, which we love. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wanted to start back in, like early in your research career. So you did your undergraduate degree in Europe? Yes, uh, I'm yeah. originally from Germany. Oh, amazing. And so your undergrad in Germany, was that in like a general science degree or was that something completely different? Um, the way how the um, studies work in Germany back in the past, it was more for special, like it, you would specialize from the start and then it would be a full oh, okay. bachelor and master program. So it was a five year program. Oh, um, so it's a I combined. Was, okay. Yeah. But so I was one of the last cohort that did it this way. After me, they changed it into a bachelor and a master system where they have it a bit more modular. But yep. um, my, my degree was food science. And that meant that my oh, okay. sort of undergrad was fully in chemistry. So major chemistry, yep. physics, um, and chemistry, yeah, pretty much physics, uh, physics and chemistry, uh, yep. a little bit of biology. And then only in okay. my in my higher um, classes uh, in the last two years, it will be specializing on analytics, uh, food chemistry, biochemistry, um, physiology. Okay. Uh, okay. And bio yeah. Wow. That's a, you, you got exposed to so many different sciences of chemistry, bio, physics, physiology. That's, that's great. So you got like that combined undergrad, master, bachelor's and master's together gave you like a really solid foundation in the sciences. Yeah. And I then, to, yeah. yeah. And then you moved on to, so yeah, combined bachelor's, master's, and then you moved on to a diploma or did you go to PhD, PhD straight away? Um, so for us in the past, the mass, like the diploma would be equivalent to a master's, what it is now. So my degree okay. was actually diploma. I know here it is not as valued, but um, when you yeah. have a diploma, you move then straight onto a PhD. Um, okay. Which which I did. In yeah. and as I, back in the days, I was really interested in um, pharmaceuticals and uh, okay. in, um, yeah. So I was doing more fundamental research on prostate cancer. Oh, okay. And, so and more yeah, the medical side. Yeah, very much. Um, and I actually started a PhD back in Germany as well. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But then ha pretty much in the first six months, I did realize it's really not my field because um, what I didn't realize, and I mean, I did, at the start of my PhD, I was clarifying that I don't want to do any animal studies, but it's actually essential for this type okay. of 
uh, science. Med- medical research, especially, yeah, of course. Yeah, and I was kind of pushed into doing the um, animal killing, and I refused, and that ended the PhD. Yeah. No, that's that's completely fair. And so that was in Germany, and then you're like, yeah, that's completely understandable. So you put a hold on your PhD there, and then you came to Australia, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So why particularly Australia? Was it, you know, a change of scenery or was there a particular project you were interested in here or a supervisor? Uh, what were some of your thought process while you were applying to Australia? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I had um, three reasons. Uh, I always wanted to do a PhD in an English speaking country. Um, okay. Just because if you're not native English speaker, but science, everything in English, your communication, yeah. your writing and your reading, I really felt like I had some, like I had a strong frustration when I was trying to communicate my, my research in English that I couldn't bring yep. across the messages and saying okay. in writing, it was, you know, I was re- writing my diploma thesis in English and it was really hard because you just use the same formula, like the same phrases from German. You just translate it, but it doesn't make any sense in, German, it, in English. <laughs> just like so, a Google Translate doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. And so I really wanted to improve my English. Um, that was one reason. The other one was um, from one of my um, friends back in Germany. He actually made the first contact with Anwar Sunan, who then became okay. a PhD supervisor. And the reason why I was really attracted by um, working with Anwar was he like he completely gave me responsibility for my PhD project. So he gave oh, okay. me a few a few criteria that I was so it had to be with enzymes, it had to be in synthetic yeah. biology. Um, but yeah. apart from this, I can decide the applications um, and whatever I want to do. So I really wanted so there to was work. More... Yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to work on environmental issues and um, pro- producing um, chemicals that otherwise would be produced from fossil fuels, but now using um, enzymes to produce it from biomass. And so he was really yeah. open. He gave me, as I said, full control like and independence. Yeah. Yes. And I could write my own PhD proposal. And so um, I really. Oh, okay. Yeah. And of course, that the whole that everything about that it sounds very appealing and something that you'd want to do yeah and also australia is a beautiful country surrounded by the ocean um, and for, <laughs> it is, for it a german is. this is very special we don't have, um, we, we don't have such the, a nice you, you, you guys don't have bondi beach there no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no and we have just to yeah. clarify your phd here was at uh, macquarie university yes so all right, you come here, you do your PhD, um, and this is a, McCray has a three, four, five-year PhD process. Uh, how's the, three, how long is the timeline? Three years. Three years. Wow, that's really quick. Yeah. <laughs> that that would be in a fun, uh, definitely fun, but somewhat time pressured towards the end, I would presume. Yeah. But then which PhD isn't? So there's that. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting point. Uh, coming from Germany, uh, PhDs are actually stretched out up to five, six years, and it's more up yeah, to the Yeah, and the same in the states. Yeah. Yeah, and um, often you you you're being kept as a cheap uh, employee, and so <laughs> it's in the interest of many supervisors to keep you as a PhD student as long as possible. As long so as for, possible, yeah. Yeah, so for us being like finished after three years is very good, um, but it was definitely very stressful. 
um, given course. also that there is a very high fees uh, for international students if they overdue their um, submission deadline. That's true. <laughs> so like financially and yeah, so it was a quite a big stress on my mind, I have to say. Course, I can imagine, but you made it, you got through. <laughs> I made it, yeah, survived. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm in the process process of applying to PhD programs at the moment, so should be awesome. Fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, while you're doing it, it's very hard, but then looking back, it's the best thing I could ever have done, and I never regret it. Um, really, oh, that's yeah. really good to hear. So I think it does, you know, it's much more than just the research. It learns, it teaches you so much about your yeah. own personal. Um, and yeah, and it's meant to be a training program as yeah. well. And that's, I think, what sometimes people forget. Yeah. So a, a question I wanted to ask was, um, so once you finished your PhD, were you, and you know, the next step is postdoc usually. So were you looking for projects um, that had like when you were looking for your postdoc projects, like were you looking for some that had like business potential or like were you focusing on, okay, actually maybe I want to go into industry over academia um, or even before you started your PhD, do you have in your mind that actually I want to commercialize the idea? Um, so when did the sort of industry versus academia, I mean, I'm sure it was always there, like even in the bachelor's, <laughs> Um, but um, when did you make the decision or was it maybe a step-by-step -step process? I, I actually it never had the idea. I had never thought about oh, the fact okay. that I would know that I would commercialize my own idea. I never thought about it. I, from, from, I always thought I never will be a professor. I don't, I, I never thought it okay. was something, but okay. it wasn't, but so the path to industry was very unclear. So uh, there was always this lingering, oh yeah, I'm going to go to industry eventually, but how and where and what, it was completely unknown. And just, uh, even, yeah, okay. Yeah, even after my PhD, I didn't, I mean, I did have the interest to look, so I did look for industry jobs, but I never considered the potential that my idea would be commercialized. It never crossed my mind. Um, and okay. so, yeah, so when I took on that project um, with Louise and Rob, which, which I'm working for now, um, I, I yeah. wasn't thinking about the option of having this, a um, getting into the market at all. It was really much... It was my supervisor who pushed us to do the CSIRO on-prime program to understand a little bit more about what it would mean to um, commercialize your tech. And okay. I think that it opened my mind, literally. Like, yeah. that was, yeah. I was oblivious to this world and it really <laughs> opened my mind. And you just got immersed in it, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. the CSIRO on Accelerate program is something I do want to ask you about. But before yeah. we come to that, yeah. um, so you were straight after your PhD. So for your yeah. postdoc, um, was that with uh, like an industry partner? Cause you said you were working with Louise and so was that just with that lab or was it with like CSIRO and Macquarie or just a lab? Um, uh, it was more or like that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they had an industry partner, which is BOC, but it's a bit more of an advisory um, partnership. So they would um, advise us on gas okay, and okay. hydrogen, but it wasn't the CSIRO. It was, it was Macquarie and uh, the researchers that set that up. 
Okay, amazing. And yeah, so let's let's get on to the startup side of things. The company that you're working with and that you developed your um, your team and your and yourself developed that idea is called Hygiene. Hygiene Renewables, yeah. Hygiene Renewable Energy Solutions, right? Uh, the renewable energy, uh, the energy solution is not really part of the name, but it is uh, okay. pretty much, uh, yeah, we provide energy solutions. Yeah. Amazing. And so, yeah, tell us a bit more about the startup, like, um, so I, I, how you got involved and like some of the short-term goals, yeah, some of the short-term goals. Yeah. Um, I just have to correct you. We are unfortunately not founded yet. We are. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, um, it's in the process of being yeah okay. and it's, okay. it's a very long like it's easy to have an uh, australian business number but it's actually a quite a long process to get there um and i can talk a little yeah. bit more about this um okay so basically i got involved um because louise is uh the, the project leader um and she wanted us the, the two postdocs and one master student and one PhD student. She wanted us to get involved in the, the CSIRO on Accelerator program. So she asked me to lead the team um, just because okay. she was kind of stepping aside. Um, she was staying on the academic work because she has done on prime and on Accelerate previously. So she was quite well um, okay. informed and already. So just like the CSIRO on Accelerator program is a like innovation and entrepreneurship program, yeah. like a competition type thing, right? Uh, it okay. is it is competitive to be selected. So there are two stages. One is on Prime, which is it's okay. more about um, it's more about starting the process, and they really try to push you out of your comfort zone. So what they ask you to do is, um, let's say, a hundred customer interviews. That means you have to call up people like out of the blue. You have to ask them, you have to interview <laughs> like people, okay. you know, different stakeholders. And it's a very uncomfortable situation to be in. Um, I can imagine. So, so they're really pushing you to the edge. And it's it's a good process because you do learn that you get a lot out of it. And, you know, you learn, like you get more confident as you do. And that's one of the biggest parts of forming a company you got to be very good in communicating and building a network. So you got to be good in talking to random people and be able to catch them and be, you know, um, without actually giving uh, any information about what you do. <laughs> so everything, <laughs> is, everything is highly uh, confidential. So it's a, it's a, it's a very fine line. Um, but yeah, so that's on prime. And also what it does, um, as you know, in, in research, uh, we have our hypotheses and then we go on and yep. do the experiments to validate. Um, exactly. Yep. And so when you do have a um, commercialization idea, you actually realize a lot of your thinking process is based on assumptions a lot mm -hmm. assumptions around your customers, assumptions around your supply chain, assumptions about your financials. And they really try to make you understand where are my assumptions and what do I have to do? What type of interviews um, do I have to make to validate or, um, my assumptions? Okay. That's, that's all about on prime. And then once you've done on prime and you, you succeeded, let's say you can then enter a competitive process to be selected for on accelerate. 
it's competitive because it's a lot okay. of money involved. Like they give you they give you free equity money, but they also provide oh, really? you. Okay. Yeah, so you have certain you have like runway money that you can use, for example, yeah. to set up your company, you to pay a lawyer, to get legal advice, um, and so on. Um, and then on okay. Accelerate is it's more like a workshop. So you have um, sections, and so you do learn about how to make a financial model. You learn how to do um, to build up your mark, uh, market entry strategy. So how do you get to market? You learn okay, how, yeah. to, how to pitch, how to communicate. Um, you, and it's, it's very different from what you learn in academia and university. Of course, yeah. Everything is very, very different. Um, so it's really like a good training. They, they provide you with the basics and then they let you be on your own. But they also provide you with a big network. So you get mentors, which is crucial to the process. You get course, to know yeah. um, investors. Um, you get to know different, um, yeah, I guess, you know, like alumni that have gone through that process and can help you along the way. So it's, I, it's, it's interesting now we are applying for a new grant and what they ask us is whether we have participated in a pre-commercialization program. Meaning oh, really? That, okay. Yeah, and that's, it has come up a lot of times that you had to tick the box if yes or no. And I think they do understand the value of, it's like training researchers to become... Yeah, it's a, it's a training program as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Because especially with like any, so many symbiote ideas at, you know, at the moment, like a lot of them have massive commercial value and, you know, exactly. Symbio is the technology of the 21st centuries through the accelerator program and what are the, the sort of next steps. So I guess at this point it would be, you're applying for a grant at the moment and then it would be that process of going from a registered Australian business number to a full-fledged startup. So how, how long does that process usually take? I'm sure it varies depending on yeah. a lot of different factors. And there would have been some delays maybe in 2020. But. Um, yeah, I think the biggest, the, the biggest time factor is IP. Um, yeah, okay. That makes and sense. And we heard, yeah, we heard a lot about, about very different stories, depending on what's the in institution that you're spinning out from. Um, it yeah. can vary from months to a year, really. Um, and okay, are, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah, so we are in the same process. So we are currently starting the negotiations process with the university because there is, there is to be able to, to, to raise capital, um, your investor has a certain interest, um, you know, in your in your company. And if there is a very large part um, equity taken by a big institution that which is very bureaucratic, very slow, yeah. then that's very negative to to the investor. So they often would yeah, tell us yeah, yeah. Um, the conditions that they require to invest in us, um, depending on what the university stake will be. And so okay. It's a, yeah, it's a sensitive topic. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So moving on from that, uh, I know the, you do have a, Hygiene does have a website that is live. Yes. Um, <laughs> and what I really, really love on the website is like a, a short 10 second video um, on, the, on the main page of the prototype, uh, yeah. which, is, which is so cool, which is, it's like, it's like a small conical flask with some like, grayish liquid in it and like 
pipes, tubes coming out. And then yeah. there's like a small fan mo- a motor, a small motor fan type thing yeah. that is um, that's spinning. So, you know, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about the science of that. Uh, yes, um, that, that's our very first labscape prototype. It looks very ugly, Amazing. but um, it's pretty much the foundation of everything. <laughs> I think it do. looks great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, so we have we have bacteria and we have engineered the bacteria to increase the efficiency of its habitat and production, and it's coming okay. actually from a iGEM project, uh, twenty seventeen. Yes. So you may, I think you you're very familiar with this. Um, and basically, yes. <laughs> what the what the iGEM team has done is they use an algae-based hydrogen producing gene cluster and place it into um, bacteria E. coli, and. Now, okay. E. coli suddenly makes um, hydrogen at rates and yields it hasn't done before. So really, it blew the mind of everyone how, how well it worked, given that... Yeah, and yeah. exactly. And that team, um, I think it was called... What was that? IGEM. It was the, the hydrogen. It was hydrogen. Hydrogen, there we go. The, yeah, and yeah. The, it was 2017, and they won the best energy project yeah. at, at yeah. the con. Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, and pretty much that um, that was all to it. And now what we're doing is we're um, doing certain gene deletions and gene insertions to direct the flux okay. of the feedstock to, um, to eliminate competing pathways in the bacteria that takes away the sugar from producing hydrogen. So that's my main responsibility in the in the project. And um, what you've seen there is, it, yeah, it's so the, the bacteria, they work more like a like an on and off switch so the moment you add sugar the moment they produce hydrogen if you don't so and then you see that's amazing yeah yeah and then the hydrogen is fueled into a hydrogen fuel cell and makes electricity um and we by by adding more or less sugar we can pretty much control the amount of hydrogen produced and that's very essential because of course yeah it is a risk factor um and definitely yeah, so we eliminate the buildup of hydrogen, which minimizes any risks, but also we eliminate the need to transport and store the hydrogen, which is currently one of the biggest cost factor in the hydrogen uh, infrastructure. So rather okay. than rather than producing hydrogen in your facility um, and then you store it and you transport it, what we do is we transport the bacteria to the site of where the hydrogen is needed. And on site, you add a sugar and you generate hydrogen directly for your application. So there is no moment of hydrogen storage and transport, which I think it's going up to 70% of the total hydrogen costs is coming from oh, the storage okay. and the transport. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And so with particularly in the energy market, uh, technologies are extremely, extremely cost competitive. Nothing will able will be able to enter the market unless it is very cheap. And so one of, of course, our yeah. assumptions that we had in and that was destroyed during on prime was we believe that if people know that they have a renewable energy source, they choose this no matter what the price will be. <laughs> that was the assumption. <laughs> and we were okay. proved wrong. So people do <laughs> even even I mean many people would say, Yeah, we would pay a little bit more, but the moment yeah. it actually comes to it and you have to pay more for providing renewable energy. A lot of people are becoming very reluctant. 
So we mm. did we did understand very quickly that we have to beat the price of, of fossil yeah. fuel derived hydrogen in order to be competitive. But and now there's yeah. new there's new competitors. So hydrogen from electrolysis is the big star because what if you use sun sun um, energy to run an electrolyzer, you can make hydrogen from water. It's water splitting. Oh, but you still okay. need so you still need to run a solar panel and an electrolyzer. And but because sun is free energy, it's it's a really big promising technology in the market. Yeah, exactly. But currently it's too expensive too. Like it's, uh, I think it's four times more expensive than fossil fuel derived hydrogen production. Oh, so okay. that's, that's quite a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And yeah. so they, as well as us, we all need to put the price down. Price so down yeah. There's a target and it's a, it's a very, very, it's a, it's a very unrealistic target, but everyone works towards it. It means $2 per kilogram of hydrogen. That's it. If you can reach that. Oh, wow you win if you don't you lose so <laughs> well it's pretty yeah. black and white that's always good uh very black and white so yeah very in terms of costs white, yeah. it's yeah it, i mean I, we did learn during the on accelerate it was very much about it's not all the money the money if you can provide a, a, a great value proposition to the customer then the money becomes secondary but we do find that in okay. energy yeah it, and that's true probably for a lot of technologies, but in energy, it will be the, the price. There's so many solutions out there. And um, it will also, it will never be a single technology that will dominate the market. It will always yeah, be a definitely. energy. But the costs are very important. That, that makes perfect sense. And it's, yeah, it's really exciting. <laughs> and, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure very difficult as well. Um, that's that's what makes that's what makes the challenge fun. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> and you mentioned yeah, so this was um, all, this project was also part of the 2017 iGym team. And do you have is the current are there any members from the 2017 iGym team that are part of this project? So I think maybe yeah, the supervisor, or mentor, or any of the team members are still associated. Uh project yeah actually no they're, they're, in, they're integrated into it um so our current master student um ari edmonds he was one okay. of the um team members of the igm 2017 jocelyn jones right. our current phd student she also yeah. was um, part of the team and then both supervisors uh louise brown and rob villos they're both now leading that project so okay. i think i'm not sure how big that team was back then but um definitely four people are now key to the project. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, yeah. that's really, really amazing to see. So I do know that Macquarie Uni has been working on um, this energy project for quite some time now, for a couple of years, but that's, that's amazing to think that, um, you know, just a couple of undergraduate students in 2017 just rocked up to the competition and won best energy project. And they were able to, along with the help of, you know, other members such as you were able to actually translate this idea from just an IGEM project um, yeah. to something that now could potentially become Australia's number one source of yeah. hydrogen energy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. That, that's so cool to see. That's, that's really great. And I think since IGEM has started um, in like, I think the first competition was 2003 or four, 
there have been like 150 plus startups. Yeah, wow. And, and this is just another one of them, which is really great to see. And so the main question I have to ask you is when can hygiene power, um, <laughs> can, can power Teslas? <laughs> Teslas? Oh, um, <laughs> as in... You don't have in, to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is, um, I, I remember, um, I think Elon Musk, he was saying that hydrogen will never be on the market. I think he... Uh, I think he said that a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> he says but, a lot of things though. Yeah, and we're gonna prove him wrong. That's for sure. Um, particularly for Australia, it makes so much more sense. Like long distances, um, because you know we don't have a train system, so everything is via trucks. And if you have long distances, yep. heavy vehicles, um, electricity, like battery system, are not enough. It's where the hybrid exactly. Comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, all the best. I'm. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing, I've, I've subscribed, not so, yeah, I've subscribed to the, uh, on the website, I put in my email uh, on the oh, hygiene awesome. website to get, awesome. to get any updates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so coming back to um, your sort of academic career, so bachelor's, PhD, actually PhD and early postdoc, do you think being like, that early career researcher, you know, it's, you're under a lot of stress and you have to really come up with new ideas every single day, right? To a certain extent. So that sort of mentality and work ethic that you need, does that help you start a Symbio startup? Like, because as a researcher, you always have to be creative. Um, you're dealing, you know, with a lot of stress and a lot of failure, right? Um, mm. I think the last time I did lab work, all my protein gels failed for six months consecutively. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and what I'm trying to say is you're always on that razor's edge between total success and total failure. So you sort of live on that edge. Um, so does that help because you've gone through that? Does that help with the mentality needed to form a startup and go take a startup from just an idea to like research and development and accelerators and actually, you know, having the IP, et cetera. So do you think how much did that help you, your early research career? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think um, judging from generally my, um, the academic environment I'm in, the people that are doing research and, you know, following the path, they're, Really, they're very keen to learn. They're very, most of them are very humble people that are just, just general, like generally for, you know, um, finding new answers yeah, yeah. Um, for the good of humanity or the good for environment. So they have very good ca causes that um, motivate them. And I mean, as you say, there's a lot of failure, right? You have to, to endure, you have to endure, you have to build up a lot of, um, perseverance, resilience, course, yeah. um, self-drive and doing like going into the um, entrepreneurship um, side. I feel like those, those skills are very valued. Um, one of the Definitely, major yeah. things that we've been told at the start of On Prime and On Accelerate was to keep, to be open, to, to learn. Um, yeah. And I think we have this drive of challenging ourselves. And I think it suits really well to, to, to challenge yourself to um, 
commercialize because it's very similar like one day it's a very um you got to be very adjustable you got to be very um um resilient to uh failures there's a lot of there's a lot of um doubts coming along your yeah. way um particularly when you of come course biotech because biotech just hasn't had this this massive success rate that has been short, shown in like um it or in um engineering yeah. like in in, in those um, yeah basic... those silicon valley tech startups exactly seem to get like billions yeah. of funding overnight yeah so we have to prove over and over again that we've done thoroughly our financial modeling and we have to re really like almost um convince whoever is talking to us investor or whoever different stakeholder they they're very critical of of our ideas and the scalability and uh, um the robustness of our system so you really have to okay. convince yourself as well um, yeah <laughs> so we've crunched and and i think as a researcher you'd really back yourself up so we've crunched so many numbers we've done all the modeling imagine like yeah various parts just to build up your own confidence talking to these people and yeah. not to tell total bullshit so i think <laughs> of course you know being like i mean we are very uh, we scrutinize each other in science as well so if you if you don't of course, have yeah, control definitely. Yeah, so you really learn like to withstand this kind of criticism and to you know to 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 demonstrate that there is evidence to it. So I think that helps a lot in dealing with the um, the certain saboteurs or critics that come along <laughs> yeah. your way. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, and I guess when you'd be in that ready to back yourself situation when you know you're giving your PhD thesis defense. It's, it's, yeah, it's exactly. like thesis defense, thesis defense part two, it's investor's defense. Yeah, it's exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You gotta be, yeah, you learn to be prepared. Exactly. So I think there's so many parallels. So, of course, yeah. And I guess that's also the reason why, for example, Australia pushes very much the um, spin-out scene because they do value the, the, the capabilities of researchers coming out from university that can be applied to their commercialization aspirations. Exactly, so, yeah. So yeah, I think it's a good point. And in coming back to the, I guess, you know, as a researcher and again, with a startup, you have to be open to ideas. You have to be creative. Um, did your, because you've spent a lot of time in a lot of different countries, right? And I believe you spent some time in America as well. Yeah, um, South America. South America. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so you, 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 you've lived in Australia, South America, um, Europe. So and Canada. You've, and Canada. Amazing. Yeah. And, oh, that's like, it's a lot of different countries. Amazing. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've done research in all of these different countries and you've, you're, you've been exposed to how research is done on multiple continents. So how is that, has that helped um, sort of your creativity? Are you able to approach research questions with, you know, a greater arsenal of perspectives? Um, and I'm sure it would have helped you grow as a scientist, being all that, diff not only a lot of experience, but experience in a lot of different situations, scenarios, environments. So how has that helped shape your scientific thinking? Mm, um... 
I mean, definitely I've seen, um, I, my uh, research background changed a lot, like my research. Um, yeah, your research did change. It. Yeah. And I think that was the major, that's the key to, um, to how I apply science and my, my knowledge now. It's, it's very diverse. It's really different angle. Um, and I'm really grateful for having had all these different research experiences. I was trained really well in analytics, for example. I was trained really well in, in cell biology. Um, okay. And they're all so different, but at the same time, they are really important to, to what we do now as well. So it's, yeah. I guess the, the, I mean, in terms of um, different research environment, uh, my experience in Chile was the biggest, um, I think was the biggest challenge because it's very interesting. They've done, they're very creative in what they use. They have very little resources. They're very little money. Yeah, yeah. So I was really impressed by their lab setups. Like the equipment was often based on like households, devices yeah. that has been repurposed. They would have to get extra creative to really... Yeah. Because of the limited resources they have. Yeah. But also ethically, I think um, they've worked, the, the research questions that they were following was um, very much about indigenous plants and how they can be, um, what, what value yeah, okay. they have and how, how they can be reused. And I really like the idea of, um, I think that really changed my mind to become more environmental um, focused. Because okay, they, yeah. they were really in, um, um, in like um, they had a really good invite like uh, sorry really good relationship with the environment and they were very yeah. yeah I don't know I think they I mean they had amazing research going on given that they had so little resources and I think that really inspired me I have to inspired say inspired you and give you that yeah yeah so even I mean coming so when I did my first PhD it was a very high high level lab it was highly renowned it had all the money you could think of. It was easy. It was very easy to do research because there was, everything was provided. Yeah. And then going to going to Macquarie, um, it was very different. Um, the, the lab that I was working in, it just started to build up in Synbio. We had to really, we had to set up our own analytical device. So it, I really, I, oh, okay. I, I think having had that experience in Chile really um, taught me that even if your resources are low at the start, you can make a lot, like a really big impact. Nevertheless, you just have to pursue exactly. And, and it's, it's and yeah. yeah, and at the end of the day, it's also the project you're working towards as well. That you have to have that passion for what your research is, like the bigger impact of your research. Yeah. Yeah. And that really, that's what drives you. And so you were a research assistant in yeah. Chile? Yeah. So okay. um, in Germany, they have very great uh, travel um, grants available for undergrads. And they really push you to, to do these kind of... Um, that's really can, yeah. It's not like they would provide you for two months um, of um, total fundings. And um, they would uh, basically give you like a whole list of research that you can apply to work for. Um, so it's a very simple system and it's, it's, it gives you a lot of opportunities. You don't get those too many opportunities to, for undergraduate research experience in a lot of countries. I mean, you can get, um, you can do those summer internship courses or 
do a research project at an undergrad level, but like actually going overseas and doing research overseas, that's something that's not usually available to a lot of students. So that's really cool that you had that opportunity and it did end up shaping um, the things you learned in Chile ended up shaping a lot of uh, the direction you went later on. Yeah, I'm really grateful too. I think, um, yeah, I really hope that this is happening more and more easily for students as well. Because now we're living in a globalized world. I mean, exactly. obviously now it's going to be hard to Not travel. at the moment, but yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but soon, soon. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. And so the, the final topic I wanted to talk to you about today was SBA Sydney. Because yeah. both of us are involved with uh, SBA. So SBA is Sydney Australia Sydney. Well, Sydney Australia, and you are the lead for the Sydney node. And we're basically a nonprofit society that aims to support the growing Symbio community and research in the sort of Australasia region. Yes. So as the lead of the Sydney Node, Kirsten, what got you interested in the science communication and collaboration sphere? Um, were you always interested in, I guess, I mean, like it's really important as a researcher to communicate your ideas and collaborate with other researchers. Um, but has it always been on the back of your mind that you'd be, you know, you'd like to be part of a symbiotype society that, you know, organizes events for local symbiote researchers? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never, I, I seriously never considered myself as a good communicator and I'm still struggling with it. So I, I think I, it's I a learning into, process, right? Exactly. Yeah, um, the only way to get better is to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I always liked the people that did it and I was, you know, I was um, looking up to them, but I never ever thought myself in that position just because I never considered myself as a communicator. Um, okay. So it's really, it's really to Dominic and Andrew who kind of um, mentioned it to me and uh, Andrew was saying, oh, Kirsten, if you want to lead this, I help you um, building it up. And, and then I thought about it. I was like, oh, that's actually really nice. Um, you know, I'd like to do something like this. So it all happened how, like this. And now I, I love it, but I never planned yeah, to never, be yeah. that. No. <laughs> no. And, that, and think, that's great. Yeah, because you don't, because uh, you're like, well, you, could, you could never see yourself doing it. But, you know, once you gave, gave it a shot, you're like, oh, this is actually really great yeah so it's co- it's coming back to lifelong learning right it's uh you exactly, put yourself yeah. into the situations that challenge you but at the same time i do love learning and so i guess that's why i was interested in to do this because it was so new to me and I, obviously i thought by you know by doing it i learn to become better exactly um, yeah so yeah yeah. And oh yeah, I should also mention that. So the SBA Sydney node, we have, of course, Kirsten leading it. And then we have Dominic, uh, Nick, myself, Andrew, and Maché. Yeah. So Team of five yeah. we've had. Yeah. Continue, I'm Kirsten. Really, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm really happy because I think we are we're such a great team. And I see everyone has its spark and everyone wants to be involved and everyone wants to grow the community. And I think it's very enjoyable to work with a team like this. Because it's it's yeah. easy. It's like everyone is on the same page. Um, yeah, and that's always important in in any team. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so, but 
being the man responsible in a way, it does, I, I can tell it puts some pressure on me and that, you know, I'm trying to do a good job and it's, yeah. it's new, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, I'm learning. And I guess being part of any team, whether it's, you know, a small undergrad research sort of competition or whether it's SBA or you're, whether you're with a startup, the skills you learn and sort of the skills required to be part of, part of that team, it's all the same really, right? Communication and working together. And it's, I guess, going, I'm, I'm pretty sure science is a lot more uh, collaborative now than it was 50 years ago, right? Yeah, Not particularly that. this year. Oh no, actually particularly this year, I would say. <laughs> because of all the you know global efforts to find a vaccine and other research that's that's going on um yeah. like I, I could never uh, you know i'm i'm just a bachelor's student i just graduated so i haven't had too much research experience um besides igem which i think is probably the best undergrad research experience you can do but i never yeah. knew you could do so much online <laughs> yeah but like, i think all of us are yeah, amazed I think so too. By, oh wow how much you can uh, be connected now right to think yeah how much we never... can be connected yeah so i think yeah, you could... hit a point yeah and even our i think in the beginning for our sba events um we've had none no events obviously in person all our events no. have been through through the lovely zoom um, but they've been massive successes like in the first event we had like a hundred plus people second event like 60 70 um i guess we you'd never get those numbers in person yeah i think so right? too. <laughs> mainly because the catering would be too expensive then <laughs> yeah yeah and, yeah and also the community is just I, I actually wonder how many um symbios we have in the sydney area um yep. it may be maybe a surprise how big it actually is i don't know exactly and this is something i think because it's online, we're finding out more and more people are tuning in and more and more people are online, like going onto Zoom and more familiar yeah. with these online platforms. And I think maybe I've formed more sort of partners or co people to collaborate with online than I have in person, Yeah, which, yeah. which is weird that's to good. think. It's but great. No, it's that's definitely, the purpose. At least. That's the purpose. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, looking forward to the future of Synbio in Australia, which I, I think you can agree, it's a very promising future we have here. I think so too, yeah. Mm -hmm.